Thank you, Bill, for reading that. He just kind of has that voice. You don't really want to mess with him, right? You don't want to get on his bad side. Thank you, Bill. Uh, I want to invite everybody to uh, stand, if you would, with me, if you're able. Um, we're going to do something else this morning and just read from God's Word together from Psalm 47. Um, we'll put that on the screen so we can all be on the same page, all right? If you've never done this before, it's okay. Just take a little break at the commas and the periods, and we'll all stay on the same page. So let's go ahead and read this together, all right? Let's fill the room with your voices. All right, here we go. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our God, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for that. We, uh, we want to start there this morning. Um, what we're talking about this morning is following after Jesus. We're following Jesus. This is where we begin this morning, and this is the only right place to begin, is to acknowledge him as king, together with one voice to say he is our king, right? God is king over all the earth, over everything. God is king over kings. He rules he has the authority of all things. Everything is created by him. He molded it. He shaped it. He put it into being. And now he rules over it. It's all his. He's king, right? We're not trying to build that case this morning, honestly. Uh, through a year and a half going through the gospel of John, we assume this at this point, that, that God is king. God is king. All the, things that, all the things that we think are ours, he's king. Right? Your hard-earned money. You put your hands to the plow, right? You earn that. It's God's. He's king over the finances. Your home, right? You put your blood, sweat, and tears into that thing. You make it nice. You, you chip and Joanne it up, you know, and make it look real good. It's his. He's king over your home. Your family, your kids, even the things about you physiologically, your mind, your, your heart, your future. It's all, it's all God's. It's all his. He's king over it all. Can we be humbled and just acknowledge ourselves before that this morning? We're not trying to build that case. We understand him as king. The question we're trying to make today is, do you follow him as king? Is he your king? Do you acknowledge him as the one with the authority over your life? And if not, what in the world is out there that's, that's, that's trumped his voice in your life? What possibly could match the creator's influence in your heart? There is nothing. He is king. He's king over all. Okay, let's pray. Our God, we, uh, we love you, and we're grateful to come here this morning, and as one people say with our hearts and with our mouths, you are king. You are king, Lord. If we've taken nothing else from this gospel of John, God, I pray that we would understand that you are king and that your kingship, that, that this supreme aspect of you is the same supreme aspect of, of Jesus Christ, that you are one and the same, that he is sent from you, that he is one with you. And Colossians 1 tells us that he is also supreme, ruler over all things, that everything is made by him and for him and through him. God, you are king. And we want to know this morning what it means to truly follow you as Jesus tells us to, Lord. And so, God, I pray that you would unravel the things in our hearts this morning that might distract us, that you would uh, keep those just kind of out of the way, that we wouldn't be consumed with any other thought outside of just this one thought. What does it look like for me to follow after Jesus? What does that look like? God, I pray that you would 
answer this question in our heart this morning. God, if there are any of those here who are not following after Jesus with everything they are, God, I pray that you would move them towards that this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, with all of that said, it's pretty clear, right? I don't think anybody would disagree with me. We live in a fairly godless age, don't we? God is, is not king of our earth. He's not king of Terre Haute. He's not king of, of America, if he's even acknowledged at all, right? Everything else is, has one outs, right? And so there's a few, right? There's people gathering this morning to acknowledge him as king in which we're doing this morning. But for the most part... Right? God is not king. People do not acknowledge him as king. He's been replaced by lesser things. Right? He's been replaced by philosophies and religions and, and to use Bible words, fine-sounding arguments that prove empty and hollow. Right? He's been replaced by schedules. He's been replaced by families. He's been replaced by everything else. We live for everything else. It's all empty. It's all powerless. It has no eternal merit. Especially when you get down to it, you start talking about things like truth, morality, spirituality, right? These things of, of the depths of, of a human person, of, of a human existence. We've gotten to the place where we've rejected God as king, and so we attempt to define all of these things as best as we can interpret. Things that we can't even fathom. We're trying to put definitions on it. Right? When God was king... Issues of morality, spirituality, truth, they are defined by the king. We look to him and let him define these things for us. But when he's rejected, people attempt to define the truths of our existence, things that mere people can't even fathom, let alone define, right? Why would you look to just a simple person's opinion on why we exist? with no background, no authority that they're speaking from, and yet we do this all the time, and, and we give in to trendy thoughts to define how we live, right? It's all about acceptance and tolerance. Be true to your heart. Follow your gut. Live for happiness. Do what feels right. You only live once, right? YOLO. These are the things that we submit to and that we end up living for and defining how we live. Or if it's not that, maybe it's another person. It's an ancient um, religious leader, for example, who has just another way of thinking, and you've been influenced by that, and so you follow that. Maybe it's simply an influential uh, family member that you respect, and so you do what they do. And for some of you, honestly, it might just be the popular kid at school who dresses cool, talks cool, they have all of the friends, and so you begin to just mimic everything they do, and in turn, that weird popular kid becomes the definition of your living. Right? This is what happens whenever, whenever our king God is rejected, when we find our identity in things other than him. And I would love to go this morning, isolate each and every one of these little false things that we, we attempt to define our human existence with. But that's not really our intent this morning. Rather, our focus this morning is extremely personal in nature. All right? In fact, I want to encourage you this morning to get all that stuff out of your head, to take it out, get, get the arguments, get the debates, get all of that extra thinking out of your mind, because this morning there's only one thing that you need to be thinking about. What does it mean for you to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you following Jesus Christ? Are you following the king, right? This is the question that's presented um, to us in John 21, and it comes through this conversation that Jesus has with Peter, and essentially this is the question before Peter. Jesus says, follow me. Jesus tells him to just follow him, okay? So this is what we're going to do today. We're going to pick apart four things that, that help us understand what it is that, that makes a person a true follower of Jesus Christ, okay? Four things. So let's get started. The first one is this, and it comes from our sermon from last week. The first is this, followers of Jesus Christ are motivated by love. They're motivated by love. Read uh, with me verse 15 through 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? 
He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Okay. So, followers of Jesus Christ, they're motivated by love. Brett presented this passage to us last week, and he spoke in detail on the implications of these questions, right? This conversation between, between uh, Jesus and Peter. Jesus was trying to get to the root of Peter's issue, right? Because Jesus had a lot in store for Peter, right? First of all, as you saw, he, he, he's telling him that he needs to go and feed his sheep, right? So Peter um, had a life full of ministry following this point, right? He, he committed the rest of his life to ministering um, um, for, for Jesus. Not only that, later in verses uh, 18 and 19, we see that Jesus kind of calls in which manner Peter will die. He's going to die for the glory of Christ. And so he says, if this guy is going to do a lifetime of ministry for me, if he's going to die in my name, then we need to get to the root issue here. What's the root issue? And that revolves around the question of this. It's love. It's love. Does he love me enough to live for me and to die for me? Let me ask you this. Right, Jesus, through this, through this conversation, he keeps saying things like, Peter, do you love me? And he's using this word agape love, right, uh, in the original language. It's agape. It's this all-consuming, sacrificial uh, love, right? You'll do anything for that love. And Peter keeps responding. He keeps responding by saying, God, you know, you know I phileo love you, right? You know I'm fond of you. I have an affection for you, right? And so you see this tension and how it narrows down to to Peter's heart and how it brings conviction in his life. Let me ask you this. If you have a fondness for Jesus, will that make you live for him sacrificially? If you have a fondness for Jesus, will you die for that? Of course not. How was Peter supposed to do what God had called him to do with a fondness and affection for Jesus? See, Jesus was calling him to love, real love, deep love, agape love. There's a huge difference between these two, right? I love my wife in a way that I will never love gummy bears. But we only have one word to describe it, right? I'll love, I'll love my kids more than I'll ever love, you know, uh, a cheeseburger. I'll love my family more than I'll ever love the San Antonio Spurs most of the time. Right? It's, they're completely different. Completely different. The things that I agape love are the things that take top priority in my life. They're the things I would die for, the things that I would sacrifice the most for. They're the things that would absolutely wreck my life if I lost, but they're also the things that bring the most peace and joy in my life. These are the things I agape love. And the question is, does Jesus make the list? Does Jesus make the list for you? Is he, does he fulfill that agape love for you? Is that something that you live sacrificially for? Is he worth that to you? Think wholeheartedly about that, by the way. That's not just a question to, to shrug off. Does he define your life? Is he your source of hope? Is he the top of your priority list? Is he the thing that you would lose the most for? Time magazine did a Time 100 article of the most significant figures in history. And guess who the number one pick was? It was Jesus. It was Jesus Christ. Kind of safe to say that kind of universally, everybody has somewhat of a respect for Jesus, if, nothing, if for nothing more than a historical figure, right? People somewhat have a, have a respect for him in that way, and I interact with a lot of people, people who reject the Bible, people who, who, who reject the notion of God, but they have a respect for the human Jesus Christ. He's a historically significant person. He had a good way of teaching. His wit about him was kind of fun. You know, he had a kind of a hippie style to him, cool beard. Good moral code that he lived by. He loved people. Jesus is my homeboy. Right? That's, that's the idea. Most people have a gen general fondness of at least the idea of Jesus. The problem is, is when this general phileo love infiltrates the local church, where people say, I am a Christian, I follow Jesus, and what they really mean is, yeah, I'm pretty fond of the guy. I try to live out his teachings. He had a good moral compass. His style kind of ran against the grain, and I like that, you know. This is not what we're talking about. This is not following after Jesus Christ. There are many who claim to follow Christ. They go to church. They quote Jesus occasionally on Facebook. 
They have a few Christian shirts. They pray before meals. But I want to tell you, if you're living and if your thinking hasn't been transformed by him, if it's not on, on a trajectory towards him, if your identity is wrapped up in anything but him, all that other stuff, that's just the church form of fondness for Jesus. That's all it is. So let's get to the root of the issue. If you say you love Jesus, why? That's a really good question. Why do you love Jesus? Is it because of your, I don't know, your house? You know, I, God gave me this thing. It's pretty cool, isn't it? I got a lot of room here. Yeah, I love Jesus. Have you seen this girl I'm dating? She's pretty good looking. You know, Jesus gave me that. That's, I love Jesus. You know, I mean... Christian radio is fun to listen to. You know, it's kind of like right in the middle. It's not like heavy, but it's also not too soft. And so, it's, I mean, or would your answer possibly be because he came to this earth, he died on behalf of me. He had my name in his mind as he was pierced and as he was killed and as he was tortured because he saved me from an eternity of hell. Man, I love Jesus because you should have seen me 20 years ago. You should have seen what I was doing. You should have seen the way I was thinking. I could have never expected that he would have brought me to where I am now. He changed my life. He changed my life. That's agape love. See, you'll die for that. You won't die for the other stuff. You won't die just because he gave you things, right? These are the people, the people who are motivated by love. They're the people who, who can say fully that, that even if everything else in their life was gone, they would have reason to rejoice in Jesus Christ. Even if they had nothing, take away the muscles and the money and the material things, take it all away, you have reason to rejoice. Why? Because he loved you, he died for you, and nothing could ever take that away. And we made this point a few weeks ago. True love reveals itself. Those who are in tune with God's agape love for them, it reveals itself, right? 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Luke 7.47, those who have been forgiven of much will love much. John 13.35, the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for each other. It's an undeniable biblical truth that the rate that you love others is telling of how in touch you are with his forgiving agape love for you. There are many that claim it, but there are many fewer who are truly in touch with it, and it shows. It shows. See, Jesus is more than a crutch for these people. He's more than a trend. He's more than a fun t-shirt. He's more than a Sunday habit. He's everything to those who are motivated by love to follow him. That's first. Motivated by love. Secondly, followers of Jesus Christ. They're embracing of sacrifice. Embracing of sacrifice. Look with me. Verses 18 and 19. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, Follow me. See, there's our, there's our statement there, right? Just so you know, I didn't make that up. This is what we're talking about. Jesus is getting Peter to a place of, of following after him. And he says, you know what? You're going to die. You're going to die for my glory. But follow me. Now, we hear Bible studies on, on radical living, right? Young families that decide to leave everything to go share the gospel to some hostile country. Business owners that give 99% of their profits to Jesus' church and mission. Parents who literally adopt hundreds of kids and give them their last name so that they might be freed of poverty and crime. There's people who smuggle Bibles, you know, across borders, knowing that every time they do so, their lives might be on the line. We hear all these stories and we think, man, these people are really, really cool. God has called them to something so great. What about us normal Christians over here in North Terre Haute? Right? We, we begin to draw a line between radical Christians and, and just us normal, simple Christians over here who just kind of, right? And a lot of people, honestly, this is, not, this is not for everyone, but there's so many who, who when they say that, what they're really saying is, I, I'm, I'm too stuck in my place. I'm too comfortable here and there. Like, I'm just a normal Christian, right? He doesn't have anything radical in store for me. So let's break down this myth real fast. Let's break down this idea that there's a line between radical living and, and normal Christian living. And it's just, 
it goes like this. Radical living is sacrificial living. Radical living is sacrificial living, and followers of Christ live sacrificially. This is a universal truth for all Christians, whether you're in persecuted North Africa or here in North Terre Haute, where you're safe and free from any of it. Radical living is sacrificial living. So here's the question. Followers of Christ, do you embrace that as part of your life? Do you understand sacrifice and cost to be a part of your Christian life, or, or is all you've ever known in your Christian life is, is Cush, Nerf Ball? That was an office reference, if any of you guys didn't get that, right? Is that all you know in your Christian walk? Has it cost you anything? For Paul, it, it cost him his life. It meant persecution to death. The form of sacrifice that is persecution, right? It's hard for us to fathom as Americans because we barely have experience with it. I've heard some stories lately of some people losing their job because of their faith and their praying and that kind of stuff, you know. So it's maybe becoming somewhat of a reality around here. It doesn't even compare to real persecution that others experience. So for us, let's take it a little further out, understanding that persecution is a form of sacrifice. What have we sacrificed for Christ? What are we willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ? Jesus tells his followers to take up the cross and follow you. Another way to ask the same question, what cost are you willing to make to follow after Jesus? What cost are you willing to make? Instead of separating radical Christianity from normal Christianity, how can we just live sacrificially for the cause of Christ, whatever your circumstance is, wherever he has placed you here and now? Jesus said if you want to follow him, it's going to cost you something. It's just going to cost you something. That's just the reality of it. It cost Jesus everything. He said they're going to hate you because they hated me if you're doing it right. It's going to cost you something. What does it look like at your work or at your school? Are you, are you willing to risk your reputation, to risk your friend group, to risk your status or job position, to risk looking weird by those around you? What does it look like financially to give sacrificially, to, to aid a ministry or to aid a hurting family? What about relationally? To enter into the rough and tough and dirty places, to risk getting your hands dirty to serve the least of these? To risk having dinner with a, a co-worker, to invite an acquaintance into your inner circle of friends for the cause of the gospel. What does it look like for your family? Dads, what does it look like to, to, to risk that extra chance to make some money or, or to risk a career move so that your family kids quits getting spiritually beat up every time you choose work over them? To pray with your kids, to teach them the Bible, even when it does not line up with your schedule. See, what's it going to cost you? These are good questions. By the way, they are by no means extreme. They are by no means extreme. And, and when we're going to talk about extreme, just for perspective, we'll talk about Peter. Right? Peter very well did. He was dressed. He was led uh, to where he did not want to go. You know, Peter or Jesus kind of called that here in verses 18 and 19. He did have his hands stretched out by his executioner as they nailed him to a cross and hung him upside down. That was Peter's fate. It was one that was kind of told to him ahead of time. It's going to happen. He was crucified upside down. Now for many people, you know, losing your life, that's worst case scenario. But for him, let's take it a step further. You know, Peter was married. Peter had a wife. In Luke 4, we read about Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And you can't have a mother-in-law unless you're married. Right? Peter was married. Peter speaks eloquently of the virtues of godly wives in 1 Peter 3, where he speaks of the inner and, and unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit that is worth more than any outward adornment. He speaks beautifully on it. And in my mind, I'm just thinking he's describing his wife. This person that we don't read about, she's quiet, she's humble, she's gentle, she supports him in his ministry, she's behind the scenes, and yet he's thinking of her writing about her in 1 Peter 3. She's got an inner beauty that nothing else can trump. And church tradition says that it was her who was led to the cross before he was. That his wife was actually crucified before his very eyes, before his own crucifixion. So take that a step further, right? Risking your own life, that's, that's one thing. Risk your wife's life too. I know a lot of guys who could, who could imagine risking their own life. For Jesus, but you know, when it comes to their family, you better be you better, better be ready to fight, right? They're not gonna let you touch their family, no way. 
For Peter, it was worth everything. Thankfully, it was for his wife as well. Legend has it that, that uh, as she made her way out by the executioners, uh, he looked at her with joy, and he simply says, remember thou the Lord. In other words, he looks at her with joy in his heart, knowing that she's about to meet her king, and he says, remember your king, remember your Lord. Man, that's awesome, isn't it? Talk about extreme sacrifice. And I don't want to look funny in front of a friend when I say Jesus' name. It's perspective. Let me ask you this. Does Peter regret an ounce of it? Hebrews says that those who are killed on behalf of Christ, that this world was not worthy of them. So now that he and his wife are standing before their king in a place of honor, do you think for a second Peter just regrets any of it? Regrets the risk he put himself in? Regrets the risk that he put his family in? Do you think he regrets it? No. Not at all. Do you think you'll regret it every time you experience discomfort or sacrifice for the name of Jesus Christ? He'll never let you forget it. He'll never let you regret it. There will be so much joy and peace in that experience you won't even know what happened. Right? Embracing sacrifice. This is part of Christ following. Thirdly, followers of Christ are pursuing personally. They're pursuing personally. Look at this, John 21, verse 20. Read a few verses here. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Jesus, or when Peter saw him, he, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die, but Jesus did not say that he would not die, only he said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? What is that to you? Right, for a moment there, Peter gets caught being more concerned about John's pursuit of Christ than his own. He gets more concerned about John's, or, or Jesus' will for John than he does Jesus' will for his own. Maybe Peter was asking out of the genuine heart, right? That, what about John? Like, if I'm going to die for you, please tell me John doesn't have to. Or maybe him and John had an argument. So he's saying, if I'm going to die for you, John better too. You know, I don't know what their friendship was like, but... Either way, the idea is to not get caught up on what other people are doing, on what God's called other people. Either way, Jesus says, what's it to you, what, what I got in store for this guy? You follow me. See, Jesus was calling Peter not to be distracted by the destiny of others. Jesus had plans for John. Jesus had plans for Peter. Why be distracted or swayed or conflicted with Jesus' plans for others when he's got plans for you? Right? Are you only going to die for me if he does? Is he not supposed to die for me? Will that keep you from dying for me? Are my plans for you contingent upon my plans for him? Are you only going to follow me if he does? You see how clouded it gets the more we get focused on God's call of other people rather than God's call for ourselves? Yet how easily are we swayed and moved and persuaded by what is going on with other people? It happens all the time. And the question at hand that I want to present to you is just this, ownership. Do you own your faith? Is your faith your own? Is your pursuit of Christ your own? Do you follow Christ personally or is it just something that you do for some other reason, some people or family or friends or trends? Galatians 1 says, uh, Paul says in Galatians 1, if I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And yet there are so many out there who, if honest, would have to say, I, I'm a servant of Christ so I can please people. Believe it or not, following Christ, it can even take a competitive turn sometimes in the church, right? People can strive to outserve one another, to fight for leadership positions, to be judgmental of other people's motives for serving. Jesus may say to you, if you're in this, what, what is that to you? If you're so focused on them, how they're serving the church, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. Yeah, serve in the same ministry as them. Right? You, you need each other. You're part of my body, but you can't control their motives. You certainly can't get in the way of what God has called them to do, of what I've called them to do. 
Followers of Christ, just to get, just to, get to the nitty-gritty here, they're, they're not easily swayed by the new, cool, influential thing. They do not quickly sacrifice truth for the sake of a friendship or to avoid family drama. They don't suppress God's call in their own life because they feel they are overshadowed by the ministry of others. And they also don't feel challenged and threatened every time somebody else has a similar ministry call as they do. It all begins with a personal pursuit of Christ, a personal walk with the Lord, being personally in tune with God's word and spirit alive in your heart. You think of the classic example. I did youth ministry here for a while, and you, you, you see couples come in, right, little dating couples. It's kind of cute. You know, when you're 15, 16, you think it's something real. Sorry if that was offensive to some of you 15 and 16-year-olds, right? Um, but you get to that place, and... and Say there's one who loves Christ and another who doesn't, but they both come to church and they both start talking the talk, walking the walk, all that kind of thing. What do you think happens as soon as there's a split in the relationship? Somebody's gone. They're gone. And they're not just gone from this church. They're gone, period. Why? Because their faith was wrapped up in another person. And we see this at a bigger level, too, when it comes to just, um, um, you know, children who go from zero to 18 under their father or under their parents just Deep spiritual influence. But as soon as they taste freedom, they bolt. Statistics actually are pretty awful when it comes to young adults, 18 to 22 area, who grow up in the church and yet 70% of them leave the church when they hit college. That's crazy. Why? Because it doesn't matter if you have 18 years of truth poured into you unless you ever own your faith yourself. You're not truly following Christ. And as soon as there are any there's any press, you bounce, you ditch, it's gone. That's, that's the nature of it. That's what happens when we follow Christ for people and not for Christ. Young people, it's never too early to start asking these questions, by the way. Why do you love Jesus? Why are you here this morning? Is your relationship with Jesus personal? There's no better time to ask these questions to start digging into the word of God personally, to find your grounding and foundation in Jesus. The Bible says that those who hear God's word and, and apply it, right, their foundation is built upon the rock, not the sand. And I'm telling you, if your foundation is built upon the sand, it doesn't matter if you've had 18 years of good biblical parenting in your life, the world will eat you alive in a moment if your foundation is built on sand. You need to have a personal vibrant foundation relationship with Jesus Christ. Stephen Hawking, one of the smartest people alive, widely known as the smartest man alive, you know what he says? He says, without a doubt, he says with absolute certainty, there is no God. That's what he says. He's the smartest man alive. There is no God. He says it. And I'm telling you, when it comes to ownership, I'll take the life change of a 16-year-old kid who's experienced a lot transformation over the opinion of any smart man any day. The 16-year-old kid who surrendered his heart to God has experienced personally the life change that God can bring to his heart and the way he thinks, the hope that he lives for, the peace that goes past any earthly understanding. That 16-year-old who has put, who has that personal, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, he will see clearly that Hawking is a fool because that's what the Bible says. To deny that there is a God is, is foolish. And that 16-year-old kid will not be swayed whenever that smart professor or that loud influential voice speaks into their life something that's not truth. They will not be swayed. They will stand on truth. They'll stand on truth when that cutie winks at them and tells them something completely opposite of what they've always known that isn't truth. They'll stand on truth because they have that personal relationship with Jesus. They have owned their faith. Them and Jesus, that's a real thing. They are not following Jesus for any other person or thing or trend. It's not that. Is your, is your pursuit of Christ personal? And lastly, my last question for you today, as we talk about what it means to be a follower of Christ, if you claim to be a follower, are you rooted in belief? Rooted in belief, and this is really the point and the question of the entirety of the Gospel of John. Believe. Believe. Look at verses 24 and 25. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. 
It's true. You ever watch those movies and you got a narrator through the whole movie, but then at the end of the movie, you, you come to the scene where it's just an old guy sitting in a, you know, in a chair by the fire and he's reading a book and he looks up and he starts talking to the camera? That's kind of what John does here a little bit, right? He looks up and he looks at everybody and he just says, you know what? If I recorded everything down, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to, to, to fully describe what Jesus did. But what I've given to you, what I've written to you, it's true. It's true. I saw it with my own eyes. All these other guys that I'm talking about, they saw it with their own eyes. It's true. There's witnesses. There's testimonies about the truth of this. It's true. And this truth, this witness has carried to us thousands of years later through his word. We, we have the truth of the reality that Jesus is who he said he was. He is king. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? I'm not asking you if you're a churchgoer. I'm not asking you if you're fond of Jesus. I'm saying, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, the King over all kings, over all the earth? Do you believe he is supreme over everything? Do you believe this Jesus? And are you ready to follow him today? Are you ready to follow Jesus? Peter believed And he followed. It became his life's mission. John the same. The apostles the same. Many of you the same. This is what you live for because you know without a doubt it is true. You've seen the way he's worked in your life. You believe the witness of the scriptures because you believe it's true because it says it is. So you live for Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus Christ and you'll do anything for it. You believe it's so true in fact that if somebody put a gun to your head right now, you you would take the bullet. Because you know without a doubt you'll be seeing your king. You'll be in the presence of your king. This is how true it is for you. He's not a hoax. He's not just some dude, a philosopher. He's not just some teacher. He's not just some cool hipster or your homeboy. He's not any of these things. He's the savior of the world. He's the God in flesh. He's the king of the universe. He's the ultimate authority on all things about your life and everything beyond. He's before all things and holds all things together. He's the beginning and the end. He is supremacy in everything. He died on your behalf so that you can have access to God. He defeated the grave. And in doing so, he curb stomped Satan's skull and he defeated the powers of darkness. He ascended into heaven and left us his church and his word and his spirit so we can know him personally and vibrantly. And someday he's going to come back and, we, and he's going to rule and he's going to let us rule with him as we follow him forever and ever. Do you believe this? Do you believe? Are you ready to declare it, to quit just dabbling in this whole Christian thing, to just take it for the benefits of it? Are you ready to sink in? So many here have just been dabbling. You're on the fringe. You don't know what you are. You're, you're coming because of somebody else, or you're coming just because it's kind of cool, the music's good, or what, whatever. Are you ready today to say, Jesus Christ, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to live for you. And if I have to, I will die for you because I believe that you are true. I believe that you're the savior of the world. And I believe that you're the king over all things. I want to give my life to you, Lord. I'm ready to be baptized. I'm ready to be all about this. I'm ready for my life to be completely repurposed around the mission and the vision of Jesus Christ because he saved my soul and he is the king over all things. Is that you today? Are you ready to do this? Are you ready to become a follower? If you got that little inkling in your spirit, in your heart, you know God's talking to you, today is your day to tell him with your mouth, to tell him with your heart, to tell him with your life, I want to follow you. You're my God. You're my king. There's nothing else in all of creation that can give me what you can give me. I, I want to be yours today. Pray with me. With everybody, heads bowed and eyes closed. Are there any out there that would be bold enough to say today that they're ready to f- truly follow after Jesus Christ? They're not about some hype or trend Not because someone you love or respect follows Christ. Not for any other reason than because you are aware of his love for you. You believe he died for you and rose again. That he offers life to you. You believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ as we've seen in John. And you're ready to give your life to him today fully. If that's you, just simply for prayer purposes, would you mind just lifting your hand? 
Praise God, I see you. Thank you. You're ready to live for Jesus, to declare him with your whole life and being. You're ready to, 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 to embrace it all because he saved your soul. Praise God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. The truth of it, Lord, the witness of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, who's come, who's defeated the grave, who's saved our souls, Lord. God, for those in here who, who have maybe made a decision today to follow you for the first time, they're ready to begin a relationship with you, God, I pray that you would just bless their lives today. That you would sink that, that truth in their hearts so deep, God, that they, they would never forget this moment when they said to you, I'm ready to follow you, and I know what that means, and I'm ready for it. God, for, for those in here who, who they've been a Christ follower for a while, at least by mouth, God, but their lives, they're just cushy. They're stuck in their schedules, they're stuck, they're stuck in their, their way of life, and they haven't given you an ounce of anything that might cost anything. God, I pray that you would just bring a reality check into their lives. Father, if they know you, I pray that, they would, that you would bring them into a deeper form of living for you that is, that is sacrificial in the way that they live. God, I thank you for, for your word. Thank you for your love for us, your agape love for us, God. May we be motivated by this. May we embrace the sacrificial nature of following you, knowing that you'll, you'll make it so that we would never regret it. Maybe we follow you personally. God, may we believe this morning. God, thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing.
The holidays always serve as a magnifier of emotions. Those who've had a really good year find themselves celebratory and joyful around this time of year. Those who've experienced loss or had a really difficult season find themselves seeking even deeper when the holidays come around. The thing about Christmas though is it also serves as a magnifying glass to the heart of our society as a whole. Our proneness to materialism, our desire to want the biggest, newest, shiniest, best thing is laid bare for all to see at this time. The truth is that we as a people are overcommitted, that we give our lives and our schedule to things that don't matter is heightened around the Christmas season. We often come to Christmas Day tired, exhausted, stressed out, worn out even before it arrives. The fact that we are prone to make this life about ourselves, that we want the world to know how much we hurt and most importantly how much they have hurt us, that we play the victim and want everyone to know it, is also exposed this time of year. But not here. Not at FBN, not this year. Inevitably, every year around this time, I get asked, so what are you guys gonna do for Christmas this year? This year, we kinda wanna flip that question. This year, the question I wanna ask is, what are you not going to do for Christmas this year? What are those things that you're actually going to cut out of your life? What are those things that you're gonna remove from your schedule? What are those things that you're not gonna pursue this year to make your life freer, more gentle, more peaceful? better. And if we're not going to give our lives being devoted to keeping up with the Joneses, if we're not going to give our schedules and our calendars to things that don't ultimately matter, and if we're going to resolve to not make this life about us, then what are we going to do instead? Because it's in the instead that makes all the difference in the world. Well, we're coming off uh, Thanksgiving week, and, and, and I can speak on behalf of, of Adam and myself at how thankful we are uh, for a congregation that loves the Word of God like you do. Uh, we, we, we wrapped up today 19 months in the same book, uh, 19 months through the book of John, and, and not a single complaint about repeated themes, not a single uh, complaint about, are we ever going to talk about anything else? You, you just, you went, you rolled your sleeves up, you went in, you, you dug deep with us. Man, for most of that time, our small groups, the only thing they were doing is going over more of John. Uh, and you all signed up and you went and, and, and uh, you, you unpacked the Greek and you just searched the scriptures. And I love that the, the book of John, the first invitation in the book of John from Jesus is to come and see. And the last one is to go and die. And so we hope that, that you've came and you saw and we hope now that, that, that with this powerful message from Adam Swan that, you, that you're ready to go and die because, man, whatever it is that you're banking on, whatever it is that you're living for this morning, if it's not worth dying for, then it's not worth living for. And so there, there's, there's one thing I'm going to ask you to do on your way out this morning. We have off the back of this entrance, we have a new prayer room uh, that's been recently remodeled and opened for. There are volunteers ready and, and on standby there today. And, and if, if the Lord has moved in your life and you'd like to talk to someone uh, you'd like them to pray with you. I want you to go to that room immediately as soon as I dismiss you. If you're one of those that raised your hand and said, today is the day that I want to follow Jesus Christ, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you to go, okay? Um, but if you, if you just want prayer, you want some counseling from somebody, go to that room on, on, on dismissal. And then, and then I want to make a commitment to you as well. Since Adam and I have been in these roles, the only thing that we've done in this church is gone through books of the Bible. We went through a whole book at a time. And we're getting ready to enter into a season starting next Sunday where for the next 13 months we're not going to do that. Um, and, and the reason we're not going to do that is because we feel God leading us to address very specific topics with you. Uh, very specific needs, spiritual needs that we think this congregation has. And so we're going to take our time and address those as in-depth and as full as we can. But there are a couple commitments to you I want to make. Number one, we will always be Bible-driven. Okay, we'll always let the word speak. We'll always let the context of the word drive the sermon. We will not let the topic drive it. We'll let the Bible drive it. And number two, these things that we talk about that we want you to put in your life and these things we talk about we want you to take away from your life, those aren't the end all be all. The reason that we're going after those specific things is because we want you to get more and more and more of Jesus Christ. We are and we always will be a Jesus church. And that will never change. And so next week when you come and we start the series, we're going we're gonna to attack this lie that so many of us in this world buy into that more will someday be enough. That more money and more stuff and more possessions, more accomplishments will someday be enough. More will never be enough. 
right? But what we're going to do instead is find out that with, with Jesus, you have more than enough. Find out with Christ-centered contentment over just trumps stuff every day of the week. Uh, and so go, if you, if you made a commitment to say, go to the prayer room, the rest of you, you are sent in the name of Jesus. Go follow him. You're dismissed.